there! You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon! We wanted to talk a little bit about belonging today and community. Um, so just um, introduction. So I'm uh, Cole Maudlin. We've been going here for how over many? three years. About, yeah, a little bit over three years. Um, I'm a, a licensed professional counselor. Um, that's kind of my career path. Um, I grew up in the church. Um, but, you know, there have been a lot of changes in some of my beliefs and my focus as I've gotten older. Um, and we were talking a lot about different communities that we've been a part of and when we felt like we belonged and maybe when we felt like um, there were changes in how we felt acceptance in that community. Um, So as a LPC, um, you know that I probably um, read a lot about Brene Brown and some of the things that she does. Uh, She's kind of a favorite in the community, although some people kind of don't like her, but (laughs) you know, they like to be contrarian, maybe. Um, but she talks all the time about belonging um, and shame and acceptance, self-acceptance. Um, so she has a lot of great things to say. I use a lot of her stuff in, in my sessions with, with clients, especially. Um, but I wanted to read, you know, how she defines belonging, because I think it is really insightful. Uh, she says, uh, belonging is being part of something bigger, but also having the courage to stand alone and to belong to yourself above all else. Um, So you have that um, kind of belonging to a larger, um, you know, community, uh, feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself, uh, but also feeling this courage to accept yourself and to love yourself um, as an individual apart from that community. Um, So I think, you know, really important uh, concept that Brene Brown is describing here is uh, being able to belong is actually not the same as fitting in. It, it's almost the opposite, you know. And we've always maybe strive for that at times. You know, I think about even you know childhood and you know elementary school and all these you know times where it's all about trying to fit in and it's seeking belonging, but we're doing that you know from this uh, maybe concept of being similar being alike being you know just whatever the ideal is yeah exactly like I have to figure out what's accepted and then I want to line myself up with that Um, but she's saying no it's courage to be yourself to be you know different to be unique um, and and then you know still uh, feeling this acceptance this vulnerability and connection to other people who love that about you your uniqueness um, so let's talk about that, you know, belonging and the concept of community, because uh, I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, I, you know, you can read all kinds of definitions of community. Um, what I found kind of a common thread is uh, feeling a connection between people. Um, so it's a feeling of connection between people um, who share common attitudes, beliefs, or goals. So it's kind of this common, you know, uh, unity. (laughs) Um, But this connection, this um, uh, driving force where you're, um, you know, aligned with a group of people and you feel kind of this 
uh, power behind that. Um, and I think, you know, we can, um, we can probably think of times when we felt that way, um, you know, that we had some similar beliefs or attitudes or goals to other people. You know, it could be uh, working out. I know I, I've um, been evangelized to join CrossFit many times. <laughs> um, it could be... Um, Stayed strong. Yeah. <laughs> resisted so far. I've resisted CrossFit. Um, uh, so, but it can be, you know, um, moms. Uh, I know Emily started a moms group on Facebook for, uh, you know, uh, I think it started. It's for the purpose is for ranting <laughs> and venting and asking for advice. Yeah. So, <laughs> but experiencing this kind of common um concerns or interests or goals, um, you know, it can be about really anything. Um, but I think you know, there's, there's a difference between belonging and community. Um, I think you can maybe have one without the other. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the first question we want to open up to y'all. Like, how, how do you think that you can have belonging without community or community without belonging? How have you seen that maybe in your own life? Go for it. Um, I know in my life, I've always felt like a sense of community with the church. And like the church as a whole, right? Not just like the church mm -hmm. that I was a part of, but the church as a whole. Um, but always felt like I was still hiding parts of myself. Um, like I didn't necessarily belong because there were these questions that I had or these things about the way that I identified that I didn't want to like disclose because mm -hmm. I was afraid of how people would react. Yeah. Or I was afraid to even admit that that was something that I was a part of, right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, belonging um, is another level. It's like you can have community, you can have connection with people, but do you have the ability to actually be vulnerable with that group of people? That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. I was uh, basically born into my church community because my parents uh, started going there when I was a baby, and we were there I mean, my, my whole entire childhood through college. Um, and I always felt a sense of, of belonging and community, but I w the church was literally made for me. You know, it was made for people who um, were outgoing and white and heterosexual and, you know, just, it, I fit the mold perfectly and it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized, looking back, I felt like I belonged because I was their ideal, mm -hmm. not because they would have liked me however I was, yeah. Yeah, and I was going to talk for a minute about a time when I really felt uh, the kind of that connection of support from um, a church community and how that could be kind of short-lived or fleeting in a way. So um, back in 2014, my father was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 lung cancer. Um, and uh, he, he had never smoked. Um, I always, I felt like this obligation to let people know that sometimes, <laughs> like as if people, you know, needed, you know, a reason to be compassionate to someone like, oh, did they, did they do this or that? And what I learned though, you know, that can be part of a distancing that people do anyway. Um, but, uh, so, 
you know, I felt at that time, though, when we first were letting some of our close friends know what we were going through, that um, we had just immense support. You know, it felt like people swooped in and were praying for us, um, bringing us meals. So we had the practical support. We had spiritual support. Um, you know, and and it felt really loving. I remember telling Emily, like, it's a good time to be a Christian. You know, when you're going through something so difficult, like, to feel that um, just support and connection. Um, what I found, though, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of painful to to talk about, but um, over the year that he was sick and he started getting sicker, um, not responding to the treatment um, and um, not responding to prayer and fasting for healing, um, you know, people started to kind of distance, you know? It, it became, I think, uncomfortable to people. Um, and a lot of times that happens, you know, our pain um, becomes something that induces anxiety in other people and so they kind of recoil from it or they pull back um, and and I started to experience that on a pretty significant level you know very close friends um, just kind of receding so to speak um, not wanting to you know discuss how things had gotten hard or worse you know um, I think it it also challenged some people's faith you know their narrative of this is what happens you know um, my dad was uh, you know a, a good man he, and he he didn't um, kind of line up with what they thought would happen to you know someone who was a believer you know who had faith and, and hope that he could be healed um, and so as I started to experience that distancing um, and then eventually you know when he, he did pass away um, it was one of the most isolated times that I've ever felt you know just completely disconnected and and I think some of it was maybe the um, extreme uh, difference or change from feeling so uh, supported and connected at the beginning um, and uh, you know I think um, in some ways our story was almost a existential threat or you know to to the narrative of this is what happens you know to to believers, um, so um, so I, I did. I, I felt like I lost that belonging, that feeling of belonging. It was kind of short-lived in that community. Um, you know, we figured that a lot of us have a similar story of feeling like a really strong sense of belonging somewhere, feeling very accepted, very wanted, and then something happens and it changes. And it just kind of, um, for us, that that really broke down our idea of, well, what's the point of Christianity if we're not here for each other? We had to kind of start redefining what it means to belong to God, to belong to each other. Um, you know, how do we get our needs met when the people that we thought would be there for us just can't, they can't or they won't? Yeah, and I think having an understanding, what you know, one of the things I learned from that is that um, you know, belonging can also um, it, it can involve that um, vulnerability and that openness with uh, not being able to give someone a solution. You know, I think so often uh, when we're in communities, it, it's like they, there's this 
maybe unspoken rule that if I'm going to support you, it's to fix whatever situation you're in. And there can be an aspect of, you know, support that involves that. Um, but when it's unfixable, you know, and you're facing something that, you know, is, is um, so much maybe more um, life-changing or severe, then you still need that community and the community needs to accept that it's going to be uncomfortable for them, I think. That they're going to have to acknowledge, like, you know, maybe this is something we can't fix, but we can still be present. We can still be with you as you're going through it. Anyone have thoughts they'd like to share on that front? Um, so one of the things that we wanted to, um, to talk about is that, um, well, I guess a critique, a critique yes, a critique. Um, <laughs> In, in the churches that I've, I've been a part of uh, before here, um, there was always a very big push to experience belonging immediately and intensely. Um, and, you know, I always thought, like, this is great. People feel so welcome. And, you know, we're, we're all together now. You know, just happy little um, thoughts. But, um, but I kind of realize now, like, that created a very false sense of um, connection before we knew it, who was safe and who wasn't safe, um, who who could maybe handle uh, our grief or, you know, things about us that they, they might be uncomfortable with. So, um, you know, there's a big piece of vulnerability that, um, you know, in, in the church that I grew up with, it was just really glossed over. Like, let's share everything um, you know, down to the deepest depths in our hearts, um, and it'll all be fine, you know? Um, and then you realize, like, is this really safe? Who's safe here, you know? Yeah, and I even remember, um, you know, we we used to talk about how people would sometimes in, in kind of a church community disguise, um, you know, gossip as prayer requests, like, oh, I need to pray for this person, <laughs> like, this is going on in their life, and so that kind of teaches you, um, even in those, in, in that type of community, like, oh, it's, maybe it's not safe to open up and to talk about what I'm really going through, um, because they're going to have these judgments, or, or, you know, uh, being in a community where uh, maybe it's, um, you're fine, because you're here, you're, you're one of us, mm -hmm but these other people, they're going to hell, or this is, you know, it's so, so, and, and families do this all the time too, I'm always talking to parents about this, like, if you're talking about other people, and you don't maybe know some of what your own children are going through, or your own people in your own community have experienced, or, or you're just ignoring it, then you're communicating to them, this isn't acceptable, you know, you're judging them in that process, and um, and they hear that, you know, they pay attention, like, oh, they, you know, this person doesn't like um, something that is part of me or part of my identity. You know? um, any comments? Just want to give it? There's, I think I've, you know, I've felt at some points in church community, like, it's, it's also reciprocal. Mm -hmm. If you're more heavily involved in the church, then the church tends to be responding in your crisis mm -hmm. to an extent. Mm -hmm. 
it's not, it's like sometimes sort of false response to, right? Because like you said, like bringing meals and, and that kind of stuff, that's helpful, but it's not really what's needed the most in, in a lot of cases. Like I know that was the case for us, but it's, it's, it just does feel reciprocal sometimes. Yeah, I, I think so. So um, he was saying, uh, in in community sometimes it's almost like there's this hierarchy like this person uh has has done a lot in the church or they serve or they you know um give you know a certain <laughs> then then there can be more of a, a response from the the community like oh we're gonna definitely reach this this person i'm, I'm thinking about uh, you know times i'm not gonna name names but where i've seen um a church really uh surround one of the pastors who got sick and um and you know prayer vigils and all kinds of things and then kind of treat it like um because this happened or because we did all this and because they're so famous or popular then that's what saved them you know that's where the healing came from i remember that you know this is kind of getting into my own uh, stuff but that really hurt me because i'm thinking well my dad wasn't a pastor he wasn't famous and he didn't get the same kind of healing you know um, but so again it's those differences sometimes in beliefs in communities and um, kind of going off of what Brian was saying I find that um, sometimes there's kind of this tendency um, to um, you know want to support people in the way that you want to do it not necessarily the way that they need you know <laughs> Um, so if you're good at, you know, baking casseroles, <laughs> like, I'm going to show off my best casserole, you know, but really listening to the person that's going through it and find, asking them, you know, being willing to say, like, what do you need? You know, what would be um, supportive to you? So you said it, for you guys, it wasn't food. It wasn't meals. What, what did you feel like you needed that would have been supportive? So sometimes it's not meals, sometimes it's childcare. Yeah, I mean, or I'm not, not to say that, you know, the things that we got were not helpful and appreciated mm -hmm. because they were. Yeah. But it's just, you know, in that moment, what we needed wasn't that. Yeah. I've definitely had people in my life who go to, like, these big mega churches where they say, I don't need a meal train, I need financial support because I have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of medical bills. But when I went to But then they're the next Sunday praising the fact that they're, you know, just bought this multi-million dollar piece of land or just finished this giant renovation or look at our giant new screens. And it's, uh, and just, it's that. It's, we're willing to help you in the way that is easiest for us. It makes it seem like we're the community that you need. But there's always that line of addressing the real needs for people. Yeah, it's kind of like someone asking to borrow money and then like <laughs> showing up with a new Lexus or something, you know? Like, um, yeah, so uh, people in communities often want to support in the way they want to instead of listening to the needs. Um, sometimes it's, um, you know, do you align with us? Do you represent us? Or are you like embarrassing to us in some way? Um, can I feel good about being able to fix you? 
and like move on? Or is this a fixable situation? So there are lots of considerations, I think, and does that community actually feel supportive or like you belong to it, you know? Absolutely. So um, wanting to kind of distance yourself from that pain. And, and that, again, that's something I experienced so much from um, many of the people that I considered in my community, close friends, you know, uh, people um, often the first question, and if, if you've had, you know, a loved one or, or you know, uh, yourself had a chronic illness, uh, people want to um, think of sometimes reasons why that's not going to be them or someone close to them. Even loving people that maybe are close to you and care about you, there's still this kind of anxiety that they're, they're dealing with when you tell them what you're going through. Um, and so immediately following up questions like, um, oh, did he smoke? Or uh, was there this cause or that cause? Uh, did they wear a mask? Did they have a vaccine? Like, it's not care about the person and what they're going through. It's kind of distancing yourself, how this is not going to happen to me, you know? Um, so <laughs> if there aren't any more comments in that vein, um, I wanted to kind of shift over to belonging based in acceptance of yourself instead of belonging based in shame. Um, and this is something that, you know, I think we don't really think a lot about that the belonging in a lot of the faith communities we've been a part of or that we can see that are very visible is actually based in shame. It's based on what you don't do or what you, you know, what you achieve um, instead of who you are. Um, and I found a quote that I really like. Uh, Dante Stewart, um, he wrote a book called Shouting in the Fire, if you're interested. Um, he says, a theology built on shame makes God into a hate-filled judge rather than a lover of life, turns a sanctuary meant for love into a den full of hate, and makes self-acceptance impossible. Um, and, you know, really, I think that's a lot of, a lot of our experiences that uh, we you know, like you were saying, Courtney, like you, you had this community, they liked you, they, you know, they thought that you were great, but you knew you were hiding something that they would not be okay with. And, um, and you know, I, like we don't believe that that is who God is for us in actuality. Um, did you wanna say anything about that? Yeah, so um, in counseling, like, Surprise, shame comes up all the time, <laughs> all the time. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a big focus is, 
you know, where does shame come from? You know, oftentimes childhood, but, um, you know, just uh, relationships, messages that you've heard or that you've taken in, um, you know, beliefs about yourself, like a core part of it is if, if you really knew me, you would reject me. You would, you would hate me or I, would, I wouldn't be accepted anymore. So there's this part of you <clears throat> that you have to hide. And um, so if that's the kind of core aspect of shame is I have to keep this secret or I'm going to be rejected or I'm going to be abandoned, um, then we're going to come up with all of these, you know, ways to protect ourselves, you know, put up walls, um, try to act apart, you know. and what that leads to, one, just exhaustion, you know, because you're, you're constantly trying to, you know, check, check in on yourself. Am I doing this right? Am I looking the part? Am I keeping this secret? Um, and, um, and isolation, you know, really, like, um, it blocks intimacy. You know, intimacy, um, you know, one definition that I often use is it's one, wanting to know someone else and to be fully known by them. So entirely, completely. So not holding back, not hiding a part of yourself that you think is unlovable or unworthy. Um, th- there have been whole theologies built on this idea that um, you know we're uh, the the work of Christ was like covering us with a blanket of snow, and underneath we're we're literally like dung. <laughs> you know, like we're we're worthless. And Thanks, Martin Luther. <laughs> um, and and so we're covered and um, we're totally depraved, um, but God, you know, the Father just overlooks that uh, because of the work Jesus did. And um, so th- there's there's some you know, like so many things in theology, there are aspects of truth to a lot of things that then get overemphasized um, to the point that it gets out of balance, and we're thinking of it in all the wrong ways. Um, and so what I've seen is so many people that have grown up in, you know, religious traditions have that kind of core shame that I'm not enough, um, that um, I, I can't do anything, you know, and I'm not acceptable, I'm not worthy of love. Um, and they forget, you know, all these verses about, you know, he, he first loved us and he, um, he made it, you know, we, we were good, you know, creation was good from the beginning, you know. The idea that, like, apart from Christ, we are nothing, that we're just dirt, we're vile, we're, we're worms, whatever. Um, I don't know why or how, but luckily I, like, always kind of rejected that idea, even though it was preached um, all around me my whole life, my whole life. Uh, um, and instead, I just kind of reasoned, like, I remember as a child reasoning, like, well, God loved people before he sent Jesus, so he loved them because he loved them, you know? Like, it doesn't have to be that complicated, right? Um, And, you know, as an adult, I've realized, like, oh, there are entire, like, sects of Christianity that believe this and that don't believe that shame-based idea of God only likes us through through the glasses or through, you know, (laughs) through through the lens of Jesus. and I, you know, that changes a lot because it becomes more about relationship and belonging than 
Um, are we doing things right? Are we living holy enough? What, what does holy mean? Like, we can, we can rest in knowing that we're loved. Um, I found another cool quote that I want to share. Uh, this one's by Bell Hooks. Um, she said, beloved community is formed not by the eradication of difference, but by its affirmation by each of us claiming the identities and cultural legacies that shape who we are and how we live in the world. Um, you know, I think I grew up a lot with people preaching about dying to yourself so that um, you can be more like Christ. And um, the underlying message was, the more Christ is in you, the less of you there will be. And, um, I'm so thankful <laughs> that I've, you know, kind of come to recognize that God cares about who we are and us uh, feeling fulfilled in who we are. Yeah, I wonder, um, so just kind of an opportunity for some vulnerability. I understand you might not feel like uh, sharing, and that's totally fine, but I wonder if any of you have felt like there was a time where you... Um, maybe we're seeking that, seeking acceptance or seeking belonging, and um, you had to hide, you know, maybe parts of yourself or, or something you were going through, something you believed, and then you felt like you couldn't anymore, like you had to express yourself or you had to find a different community because it was just too much. Has there ever been a time like that that anybody would like to share about? thinking that about other people too, exactly. subconsciously maybe. Right. So like I grew up in a house where like suicide was considered the ultimate selfish act. Like at any time there was like a famous suicide or someone in our lives, it was this like, wow, how could they do something so selfish? Why would they do that to their family, to society, to God? And then obviously they're in hell because they made this very selfish choice. Um, and then I got to high school and I had all of these thoughts that now are obviously mental illness, but at the time was just like, how am I so selfish that I can't stop considering this thing that I'm told over and over again is the ultimate act of selfishness. And so it's this like, I can never be close to Christ because I can't stop this thought of taking my own life. I am already worthless without Christ. So I guess I'm just always going to be worthless because I'll never be able to be with Christ because I can't stop from being selfish and eventually having that feeling of one day I won't be able to fight it enough. I'm just going to do this thing and then I'll spend eternity in hell. So having that, like, I can never belong to my family, I can never belong to my friend group because eventually I'm going to do this thing that is going to hurt them so much that it'll prove that I was never one of them anyway and I was never part of Christ. Yeah, so uh, kind of that endless loop, you know, there, there comes the exhaustion, right? The burnout. This is very tiring. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. 
um, if if they knew that I was struggling with this, um, in in your case, you know, suicidal thoughts or depression, like uh, at a clinical level, then I wouldn't be accepted. Um, they they would consider that lack of faith or. It would prove, yeah, that I'm worthless or that I'm not, I don't belong, you know? Um, and so how do I ever get to that sense of belonging? Because I've got this that I have to keep secret. Um. A lot of churches would like rather build their community around like common faith and just stay mm-hmm. like other people yeah. rather than like common love or grace. Yeah. Because like if they don't want to, like if they don't want to accept and love everyone, they'd rather just point at another group of people and be like, don't be like them. Those people are evil. Yeah. Yeah. Way better than It's usually, I mean, not always, but it's usually very covered in pretty flowery language yes. of love and acceptance, and it's it's hard to decipher what's really going on sometimes. It's like the love the sinner hate the sinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the original question? What <laughs> <laughs> was it? Have there, has there ever been a time where you felt like you had to hide something and that maybe it became too exhausting for you to keep hiding it and, and you had to leave a community? He was one of her students, but at, at one point. <laughs> Yeah, so in um, that depression related to hiding something or feeling like you have to act a certain way, um, that absolutely can be a a cause of depression and hopelessness. Um, Belonging is actually, you know, a psychological need that we have. Like we have to get that sense of belonging from somewhere um, or we are going to be led into hopelessness um, and depression oftentimes. Uh, sometimes anxiety, of course. Um, when I when I first started therapy with the therapist I have, it's, we're about to go be going on three years. We're strong. Um, it, I 
had no idea where all of the anxiety that I was experiencing was coming from. And she said, well, anxiety primarily comes from feeling like you have to hide something about yourself. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. And then I stayed for three years. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's that shame, the shame base that comes in. Um, when, when I was working at the same school, when I first started working there, I was leading um, music for the little kids and I suddenly started seeing all of the songs that I had always loved through the eyes of maybe my kindergartners. And I was like, wow, why are we working so hard to convince these people they're sinners? You know, like why, why is this such a huge focus? <laughs> you know, couldn't that just be kind of some background knowledge? We're not perfect and move on to, to some helpful things. Um, and you know, that, that little crack, uh, made things continue. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think also connected to what she was saying about anxiety, you know, anxiety um, is often hiding something about yourself, but then also, um, like uh, Megan was saying, it can be um, wanting to have control over something that's inherently out of your control. And so I want to look like this, I want to be like this, because that's what's that's what'll help me feel like I belong, but you don't have control over that sometimes. Maybe it's, you know, clinical depression or suicidal thoughts or, you know, something else, but um, that anxiety then starts to really set in because you realize oh, this is gonna make me feel rejected or that loss of, of belonging. Um, yeah, so I, I've been thinking a lot about, like, what what would, a community that's really focused on um, kind of fostering this idea of belonging be built on it. Are there kind of some biblical principles for that? Um, and I think, you know, just coming to Matthew 22, um, you know, love your neighbor, like that's the big one. Uh, but it, so it's Matthew 22, uh, verse 36 is where it starts, and I'll read it. So. Teacher, when, um, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Um, so we've, we've probably all heard that and um, had it spoken to us or over us all the time. Uh, I found that um, when counseling people from a religious background, um, either kind of explicitly um, or, or sometimes implicitly, it's, it's been emphasized from this verse, um, basically, uh, love, love others um, is the big one, right? Uh, you know, love, love your neighbor. Uh, of course, they kind of put all these restrictions on it, like loving them means, you know, telling them how they're messed up or, <laughs> you know, like, uh, because I'm loving them to keep them out of hell or something. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so love certain parts of them that you want more of. Um, but also there's kind of this idea that's often smuggled into it of um, self-sacrifice. And, and that can be an aspect of love, of course. Um, but I think um, so many people that I talk to who have grown up with this, hearing this over and over, 
um, they think of it like there has to be some sort of self-deprivation. You know, like I have uh, like lose something about myself to to love someone else. You know, um, and so there's not this self-acceptance um, or this kind of courage to be who you are. You know, um, going back to Brene Brown. So um, just kind of a shift in how sometimes I present that verse to people in, in trying to help them understand, um, you know, this verse is as much about loving yourself and acceptance as loving others. Um, I think just, you know, paraphrasing it to love others as well as you love yourself can be helpful. You know, that's implied that you, if you're gonna love your neighbor, it's not gonna be built on self-loathing. It's not gonna be built on how you, um, you know, want to be different than you are or control these things that maybe are inherently um, out of your control. It's gonna be built on that self-acceptance um, and that love um, that you've experienced maybe um, through God and through acceptance in, um, you know, your belonging to him. Um, so when you love God with everything in you and have the courage to fully love and accept yourself, I think you create the conditions for belonging. You know, it's, it's kind of coming back to um, Brene Brown's quote, um, is that courage to be unique, to be who you are, um, and also to be part of something bigger, um, that, that community where there are other people like you who are also accepting themselves. They're not trying to say, you have to be just like me. We have to believe all the same things. They're celebrating differences, even differences of beliefs. Um, it, it doesn't, I, I think so often our experience has been, you have to you know, check all these boxes before you get that sense of acceptance. Um, but I think this shows us, you know, if we're basing that belonging on biblical principle of you know, loving yourself, loving God, loving yourself, um, as well as you love your neighbors, um, then that's going to create, that's going to foster that community of belonging where there's acceptance and uh, those differences again are celebrated. Oh, sorry, I guess I should say. Um, it comes from a woman named Cole Arthur Riley. Um, she founded um, Black Liturgies. I don't know if some of us may have heard of it. Um, it's on Instagram if you want to check it out. But um, she has a prayer for belonging. So we're going to read that and then do communion. God of belonging, we thank you for being a maker who does not desire us to be alone. Many of us long for connection and interdependence, but we have become used to enduring the sounds of our own loneliness. We confess that we've become so acquainted with loss and abandonment that we struggle to believe there are those who truly want to be with us. Keep us from pushing them away from us or form us to be people of collective responsibility that we would never become too familiar with solida solitary dependence, but would find ourselves participating in communal restoration and care. Let us find that community which beholds our laments and can 
rouse our laughter, those who can name their needs and allow space for ours. Let us belong to one another in true mutuality, knowing our burdens and hopes and liberation are mysteriously entwined. Let us bear it together. Um, may you find that you belong um, to yourself, to God, and may you feel loved um, for who you are, whatever that may entail. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.